All right. So looking at lesson 12, what is the goal of our study tonight? It's to understand a specific method of Bible study. To understand a specific method of Bible study. You guys got pens? You need a pen? You got, you want to need one? Oh, yeah, thanks. All right, so what is the goal of this lesson on Bible study? It's to understand a specific method of Bible study. We're going to look at this specific method of Bible study so that we can know the Word of God, so that we can apply the Word of God and be ready to teach it to others. We said from the beginning we want to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. As 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we need to be able to do, in order to do that we've got to be able to study the Bible on our own. So as we think about the principles of Bible study, there's a method that we're going to use, and this method has three parts to it, and they are observation, interpretation, and application. And so let's look at these three things. First, beginning with observation. Observation is, what is observation? What, what is observation? Whenever you observe something, what do you do? Watch. You just look at it. Exactly. So you see what it is that's there. So as far as the Bible goes, it's answering the question of what does it say? So you're answering the question of what does it say? Whenever you look at a passage of Scripture, that's what observation is. Observation biblically defined is um, Psalm 119.18. And I talked about this a little bit last week where it says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And that's a good memory verse to have in our minds to pray before we go to God's Word and read it or study it, that God would open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things that He has written right there in His law. Um, whenever we observe, we need to look at the Bible and we need to look at it from all angles. You know, look at it from the author's point of view. We need to look at it from the point of view of who it was written to. We need to look at it from our point of view that it's written to us even today. And so we look at it from all different angles. It's just like, you know, a referee in a basketball game. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a play and it happens right here in front of this official, but an official over there calls a foul on the play but there's a guy right there and you're like well why didn't this guy call the foul well because he's blocked and so we need to see it from all different angles that's why you have different referees out on the floor so that they can see everything from all different angles and make sure that everything is done by the rules the same thing is true with bible study we want to look at it from all different angles so that we can see what's right there in front of us you know, and oftentimes whenever we look at the Bible and we read the Bible, whenever there's verses that we have memorized or verses that we know really well, you know, sometimes we skip over those or read them really fast. Like if you're going through John chapter 3 and, you know, you're reading here at verse 1 and you get down there and then you get to verse 16 which you have memorized and you say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then you slow back down and start reading again and your mind doesn't even process what that verse says. And so we need to read the Bible whenever we're reading it. We need to read it like we're reading it for the first time. Um, we need to read it like we'd read a love letter. If we got a love letter from 
Um, I know some of us have been married for a while and we say, well, you know, that's not that that meaningful, but you know, whenever you got that new relationship, you think back to high school or whatever, and you'd get a love letter from your from your girlfriend, from your boyfriend, you know, you'd read through that thing and, and think about the words that they used. We need to do that with the Bible. I love 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, this is God's love letter for us. And it's hard for us to understand the deeper things and the things that God has written for us without the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man, someone who has not believed in Jesus Christ, can't understand the deeper things of God but because they're spiritually appraised. But those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and He wants to teach us the deeper things of God's Word. So we can know and we can understand the things in God's Word because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us teaching us. Howard Hendricks makes a great point, and this is something that's important to think about whenever you're studying the Bible. He says this, the more time you spend in observation, the less time you'll have to spend in interpretation, and the better your results. The less time you spend in observation, and the more time you'll have to spend in interpretation, and your results will be less reliable. The truth is, so many times whenever we go to Scripture, we see what a verse says and we just immediately, we want to know what in the world does that mean? And so we don't take time to, to dig into it and see what it actually says before we skip over to trying to decide what it means. And so we need to spend time in observation, answering these questions that we're going to see here in just a minute to observe a passage before we go to finding out what the meaning is. So spend time in observation before you move to interpretation. So what are the questions we ask whenever we observe? And you may have heard this back in uh, high school or junior high English, but the questions that we ask the Bible to observe it is who, what, when, where, when, why, and how. So who what, where, when, why, and how. Who's in the passage? Who's the author? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? What's going on in the passage? Where are they at? Where's the author at? You know, is Paul in prison whenever he's writing this letter? Is he on a missionary journey? When? When did this happen? Is this, you know, the first 11 chapters of Genesis before the nation of Israel came to be? Is it during the time of Israel? Is it during the time of the church? When, is the, when are the things happening? Why are they happening? Why, why would this be written down? How? How are these things coming about? And so we ask the Scripture those questions, and we'll do that here in just a minute for a specific passage of Scripture. But once we answer these questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how, we've seen what the passage says. Then we proceed on to interpretation. And the next question is, what is interpretation? 
And what is interpretation? It answers the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does this passage of Scripture mean? Whenever the author is writing a passage of Scripture, there was a specific meaning. And the truth is, whenever you look at the Bible, there's only one interpretation. There may be many applications, but there's only one interpretation. There's only one thing that the author meant whenever he was writing, whenever God inspired him and gave him these words to write. And so we begin to look at what is the meaning. And in order to find out what the meaning is, there are key areas of interpretation that we look at. And these three key areas are first, the verbs. And what does a verb do in a sentence? Exactly. It gives the action. Exactly right. It gives the action. It, It tells what is going on. And so we see the action. And so the verbs in in the sentence um, that we're looking at are important. And then B are the connectives. And these are key words that help us know the flow of the passage. And so we're going to look at several um, connective words. The first one is but. But. What does but do? Contrast, exactly right. And in the verse that we're going to look at today is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is going to be our key verse that we're going to look at the rest of tonight and next week so that we can observe it, interpret it, and apply it. But that verse starts out with, But. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so whenever we see that, we can't just start with that verse and move on. We have to go back in the context and see why is that but there? What is the contrast? And the contrast into what we're going to be looking at tonight is they're asking, is it now time for the kingdom? And Jesus tells them it's not time for the kingdom, but I have something for you to do, and that is to be my witnesses. And so but gives contrast. The next one is for, and not, not F-O-R-E for us golfers. It's just F-O-R, and it, it explains, it gives explanation. And so if we look at Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are His workmanship. And so if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, through His grace, He saved us, He raised us up, He seated us, Um, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did He do that? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And then He goes on and He says, for we are His workmanship. So why did God take us from being dead to making us alive, saving us by grace through faith? He didn't do it for no reason at all. He did it so that we would do what God has purposed and planned for our lives. And so each person is saved individually so that we as a church can fulfill God's plan for our life. And so he gives explanation in that, in that verse. Number three is as. And as shows manner. As shows manner. The great verse there is Ephesians 4.32. 
Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. <coughs> so what manner are we to forgive other people? Exactly. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven us, that's the way we are to forgive one another. And God forgives us time and time again. He doesn't hold our sins, our trespasses against us. And so we should do the same thing. That We're in the same manner to forgive others just like God in Christ has forgiven us. The next one is that slash in order that. That slash in order that. And that shows purpose or result. Purpose or result. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign your mortal body so that you do not obey the lust of the flesh. What is it? And so that gives the purpose, the result. Why do we not let sin reign? Because we don't want to allow our bodies or the members of our bodies to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then the next one is found all throughout the Bible, and it is therefore. Therefore. And therefore is a summary statement. JB says, every time you see the word therefore, you got to see what's the therefore, therefore. So what's he summarizing? So what's he summarizing? A great verse there is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, and that summary is actually the first 11 chapters. He says, because, you've, because there's no one righteous, no not one, we're all justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and we have our security in Christ. We, we are to live out who we are in Christ. How, why? Because we died and rose again with Christ to a new life. He talks about Israel, past, present, and future. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, therefore. And he summarizes that. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. So because of all that Christ has done for us, because He's he saved us, because we're secure in Him, then we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Another good one is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith Sarah, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith all of these people live their lives. And then he says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, what are we to do? Lay aside anything that's slowing us down. Run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And so, just like they live their lives by faith, this is how we live our lives. We are to live our lives by faith. And then the next one's a little tricky. The word there is if. If. And whenever we think about if, we think of it as a conditional possibility. If it doesn't rain tomorrow, then I'm going to go play golf. If it rains tomorrow, then I'm not playing golf because I'm not going out in the rain. And that's what we think about. But in the Greek, there's actually three different aspects to the word if. 
there's a first class if in the Greek, and you might write this out to the side. There's not really room there to write it, but um, just put it out to the side. There's a first class if, and that if is if and it is true. And a lot of times you can tell if it's a first class if in the Greek, if you can put the word sense in there and it makes sense. Sense? Sense. S-I-N-C-E. Uh -huh. And if that word makes sense, S-E-N-S-E, -E, uh -huh. then that's probably what it is. A great example of that is found in 1 John 4.11. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us. So maybe God loved us, maybe He didn't. Does that make sense? No, that doesn't make sense. But if you say, but since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, that makes sense. And so that's a first class if in the Greek. So why don't they just use since or because in there? I don't that? know. I have no idea. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> since they don't do that. <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> then there's a second class if, and that's if and it's not true. Second class if is if and it's not true. And a great example of this is found in John 18.23. <clears throat> Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. If I have spoken wrongly. Did Jesus ever speak wrongly? No. no. So if and it's not true that I spoke wrongly, then testify of the wrong. Uh, John 18.23. And then there's the third class if, and that's the if that we think about normally, and that's that conditional possibility. If, and a great verse for that is 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, we may confess our sins, we may not confess our sins. But if we do, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, the ones that we confess, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, that's the conditional possibility. And then the last one is because. And because gives reason. Because gives reason. A great verse for that is Ephesians 5.16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So why do we need to be careful in how we spend our time? Because the days are evil. If we're not careful in how we spend our time, if we're not careful in how we live our lives, then the world is evil and the world's <coughs> going to pull us in to its, to its desires. Back to that Romans 12 too. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you'll unconsciously be conformed to the world. And so... We need to watch the way we walk. Is this that uh, being conformed to the way of the world, like chaos? It's being pressed and molded into the ways of the world. It's just like whenever you look out in the world, you know, you see um, things that are that are not godly. 
Um, you know, like advertisements. I mean, you need this. This is something that you have to have. And then, you know, the, the things that they use to, to draw you in and everything like that. And so the world conforms you and presses you and molds you if you're not consciously on purpose transforming your mind and you transform your mind by being in God's Word. And that's going to change you from the inside out rather than the world changes you from the outside in. I love that. Is this Ephesians 5.16? The, the, what I quoted was Ephesians 5.16, be careful how you walk, but Romans 12.2 uh-huh. is if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you'll conscious, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you'll unconsciously be conformed to the world. You're welcome. All right, and then C is key words. And key words are any words that need to be understood or explained. Key words are any words that need to be understood or explained. And so key words can be different for different people. Like if you said the word propitiation, do you know what that word means? Okay, so that would be a key word for you guys because it's something that you don't know what it means, and so you need to, you need, that's a key word. You need to understand and see what does that mean. It literally means satisfactory payment. Jesus is a satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He's the propitiation, He's the satisfactory payment. And so that would be a key word. But for somebody else, it may not be a key word because they know what that word means. But it is a unique word, so it's probably a key word to any of us. Words that are repeated are key words. Because if there's a word that just is constantly repeated, there's a reason that that word is repeated. And so we look for key words. Anything that needs to be understood or explained or things that are in repetition are usually key words. So we have observation. We look at what it says, then we interpret the passage looking at the at these key words, the connectives and the verbs so that we can find the meaning of the passage. And then ultimately once we've dug the passage and we have have the meaning, then finally we go to application. And application answers the question, what do I do now? What do I do now? How can I apply this passage to my life? What are the truths that I can take and live out based off of what this passage has taught me? And there are two keys to application. A is always base the applications on the interpretation. Always base the applications on the interpretation. So if you just studied a passage of Scripture that's all about prayer, you don't go and make your application that I need to go out and evangelize every day. Your application needs to be based on your interpretation that you need to pray more often. You need to pray uh, more seriously. You need to pray with conviction. Something like that. And then B is make the application personal. Whenever you're studying the Bible for yourself, always make the application personal. I need to pray more often. I need to quit worrying and turn 
my worries over to God. And so make it personal. I need to do that. It's, it's so easy to say, we need to do this. We need to do that. Make it personal. Chuck Swindoll says this, if you want something to stick, you have to apply it. If you want something to stick, you have to apply it. You can have two pieces of pipe and a stack of duct tape, but those two pieces of pipe are never going to hold together if you don't apply the duct tape to it. The same thing is true in our lives. If you want the Word of God to stick in your life, you have to apply it to your life. And that's what we want to do. Because that's the ultimate purpose behind studying the Word of God so that we can make application in our lives. Not just so that we can be smarter sinners. So any comments, questions about observation, interpretation, application as an aspect or a method in order to study the Bible? Alright, well turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 because we're going to put this into practical application and we're going to look at a verse of Scripture. We're actually, actually going to look at a passage of Scripture but focus only on one verse. And it's going to be amazing how much information we're going to draw from this one single verse as we go through there. If you look at the very back of your books, and you don't need to flip there or anything, but in the very back of your books in the appendix, there are these same sheets that we're going to fill out for this passage of Scripture that you can make copies of if you want to do Bible study on your own and you want to turn around and do this yourselves that's in the back of your book so looking at Acts chapter 1 does somebody want to read verses 1 through 14 for us Acts chapter 1 1 through 14 out loud <laughs> go ahead just account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All right. So we've got that for, for context. And then we're going to focus in, though, just on one verse, Acts 1.8. But we're going to use some information from these other verses to help us pull some information so that we know, because you've got to have context whenever you study a passage of Scripture. So if you're studying a chapter, you've got to have the context, what is after it and what is before it. And the same thing is true with a verse. You've got to see what, what's happening before and what's happening after to be able to put it all together. So let's begin asking the question of who. So we're just doing observation right now. Who, are, who do we see in this passage? In, ver, in verse 8, specifically in verse 8, who do we see there? But you, who's you? The apostles. Okay, so that's good. But can we get even more specific? as to who that you is based off of the passage that we read. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Paul. Exactly. So if you go to verse 13, you can see who specifically are these apostles that are there. And so you can see that. So there's a lot of who's that we already got and we only looked at one word. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit so who's another who? The Holy Spirit. And then he says, you shall be my witnesses. Who's mine? Jesus. So who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus. So a lot of who's. Any other who's you see there? Luke's writing unto Theophilus. Okay, so Luke is the author, so that's an important who. And then Theophilus, so he's writing to a specific person. About the people in those areas. Exactly, all of the people in Judea, Samaria. And even to the remotest parts of the earth. Who does that include? Everybody that's right here today. So even the people to the ends of the earth. Except the women and Mary and Jesus' brothers. Exactly. Down there in verse 14. So, we've got a lot of who's. Anything else anybody sees there? <coughs> verse 14. Verse 14, yeah, you see there that there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Mary. <coughs> 
Okay. <coughs> what? Oh, I was just going to say the two men in my clothing. Yeah. <coughs> the man of Galilee. And that's basically those, those <coughs> the apostles. Okay. All right, so let's move on to what? Okay. The power to witness. So that's what? That's what they're waiting for is the power to witness. Oh, you're fine. The power, I'm sorry, the power to what? The power to witness. What, what are they waiting on? He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he tells them to wait for this power. And so that's what they're what they're waiting on is this power to witness. Mm -hmm. And so that's a what. And then what are they to do once they receive this power? What are they to do? Be witnesses. Make disciples. Okay. Yeah. Later down in the book. Yep. They're waiting on the power, but who's bringing the power? So what are they waiting on? They're waiting on uh, the Holy Spirit to come as well. Jesus ascension. That's a pretty big one. Yeah, but stay right in verse eight though. What what do we see in verse eight? We use the context, but really stick to to verse eight. And so really that's that's the main what. What about where? Where are they? When Jesus when Jesus is speaking. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're on the Mount of Olives right now is where they are. But also the where's are Jerusalem, <coughs> Judea, Samaria, remotest parts of the earth. Where are they now? Sorry. They're on the Mount of Olives. Mountain of Olives. Mount of Olivet, or it may say Mount of Olives <coughs> NIV, so it may say Mount of Olives. If you look down there in verse uh, 12, yes, yes, 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. <coughs> so that's where they were when Jesus was speaking to them. And then after He ascends back into, into heaven, then they return to Jerusalem. 
Okay, what about when? Okay, so when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, that's a when. And according to this passage of Scripture, when's that going to happen? Just in the passage of Scripture that we've read. Do we know when that's going to happen? They don't know for sure, do they? We can read on ahead and we can find out the answer. But as far as right here in our passage of Scripture, they don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, it just says in just a few days, but they don't know how, how many few, you know? Jesus is coming back soon. <laughs> they all thought He would be there in a few years, and it's been 2,000. <laughs> yep. Okay, and so... When did this happen... In the course of time, between when he was rose from the dead and when he ascended to heaven. Okay, so when he arose from the dead and and before he ascended into heaven, what day was it? First. How many days since he's since he's risen? Forty. Forty. Yeah. So it's forty days um, since since his resurrection. I don't know if I said that right. I may have said a century a while ago. What else? What's what's something else that's very important? When did he say this? Just before he ascended. Exactly. Just before he ascended. So this is his final words to his guys. This is what I'm leaving you here to do. I want you to be crystal clear on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. You're to be my witnesses. It's not time for the kingdom, but while you're waiting, this is what you are to do. Why? Why wait to receive the power? To be witnesses? Why does he state this verse. Tell them what to do. Tell them what to do. Why else? So they can teach others. So they can teach others. But why does he specifically say this verse? What comes right before it? So it's a response to their question, basically, is why he's given them this answer. Is the kingdom coming now? Yeah. They said, why? They said, is the kingdom coming now? And he says, no, but 
this is what I have for you to do. And so that's why he, he's answering their question. That's why it's written here. Why does he say, be my witnesses? What did they witness? Jesus' life, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. And so that's the message, is it not? That's the gospel message that we talked about back in lesson three. What is the gospel message? Is that Christ died on the cross paying for our sin. He was buried. He arose from the grave, conquering death, proving the payment of sin had been made. And He was seen by many people. And so that's why He's telling them, you guys witnessed it. You were physical witnesses of my life, my death, my burial, my resurrection. And so you guys need to go and be my witnesses. And then, how? How in the power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. That's how we're to go. In the power of the Holy Spirit. You see another how in there? Specifically in that verse? Huh? What does it say? Beginning where? Where they are. Where they are. So what do we how are we to do this? You begin right where you are. Begin in Jerusalem, and then all Judea, a bigger area, Samaria, even to the people that we don't really like and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so, where should we begin our witnessing? Beginning right where we are. We've got a sphere of influence around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, um, and all of the people that we go to school with, all of these kind of people are in our sphere of influence for a purpose and for a reason. We begin where we are. We don't have to go to the other side of the country. We don't have to go and be a missionary somewhere in order to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're to begin where we are and then spread the message from there. And so that's what he's telling them. That's how we do it. <coughs> Any other observations that anybody saw? Ties right into that Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty that we're we're to be we're to be deci- making disciples of Jesus Christ, and so uh, you know that making disciples start in being witnesses of Jesus Christ, sharing the message of His death and resurrection, and then teaching them the truths found from God's word. Around that same time, the 
Exactly. Yeah, it's probably a few days before because he was on a different mountain whenever he gives Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But here he's on the Mount of Olivet and then ascends back into heaven. So we've got a lot of information. Do you think that there was that much information in one verse that you could find? And so, I mean, it's amazing how much information is in God's Word and and how it all fits together and everything. And as we take this information, that what we've seen, then next week we'll look at what does this mean? What what is the meaning? Why, why is it why is it all here? What's the meaning behind it? And then we'll make some applications for ourselves, some personal applications that we can take out of here as well. So in summary there, number one is the three key areas of Bible study. The three key areas of Bible study are observation, interpretation, and application. The three key areas of Bible study are observation, interpretation, and application. Number two, observation answers the question, what does it say? Observation answers the question, what does it say as we answer six questions? Observation answers the question, what does it say as we answer six questions? What are the six questions? Exactly. Then number three, interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? Interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? As we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords. Answers the question, what does it mean as we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords? <coughs> then number four, application answers the question, what do I do now? Application answers the question, what do I do now as we make personal application based on the interpretation? Application is, answers the question, what do I do now as we make personal application based on the interpretation? And that's something, again, to point out that there is only one interpretation, but there may be many applications that we can make from a verse, a passage of Scripture, or whatever it is that we're looking at. I have a question. Okay. So how do you know when you're observing? So we went back and we went forward. How do you know... 
I mean, I think, like if you're observing something in like, because generally you'll study a passage of scripture and or a book of the Bible is what most people do. And so basically you just start at the beginning and go your way through. And then as you're going your way through, you'll have the information from the past. And, you know, most people like whenever they're going to study the Bible, like say I'm going to study the book of Acts. Well, many people will read the book of Acts two or three times before they even start to study it so that they have a flow of what's in the book and then they start their study of, of the Bible. If you just pull a particular verse or a passage, um, I mean a chapter before and a chapter after is, is good context um, to look at. If you're if you're going for a verse or whatever, but so that you get a good flow, and once you have that good flow, then because I mean you can go as far as you want to go, and it's just like with the who, what, where, when, why, and how. I mean you can go. Who are these people? They're Peter, you know, because you could say, well, these are the disciples, and if you have no information or anything else and then you see the names that are written there, then you may think there's only 11 disciples that were disciples of Christ. But you have other biblical knowledge, and you know that there was another one that was a disciple with him, and he's no longer there, Judas. And so, um, you know, but that might be a who question, like why is he not here? Um, If you were just looking at this book, you know, and so... You've got your mind and your contextual information. It's just like the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, I know He's the Trinity. He's the third person. He is, you know, the one that gives us power to, to witness. And then we go to John 14, 26, that He teaches us and brings to our remembrance um, the things that we've been taught. So not only is He our power, like whenever we go out to witness, but I know John 14, 26, and so I know he's the one that teaches me, and now whenever I'm standing in front of somebody, that he's the one that's going to bring me the information back that I've already studied, that he's taught me whenever I stand before him. And so, you know, all of that is more information that you have, and that's why, you know, you can study a book of the Bible and then you can go back four years later and study the same book because you've got a lot more context because you've been looking at this book and this book and this book and now if you go back to this book you've got more information and more things are going to come to life because of the other information that you have around it if that makes sense but if you're looking at a at a at a verse i mean a chapter before chapter after is is great to do but for sake of time and information and everything, you know, we went those 14 verses to hit right in the middle, verse 8. Could you repeat number four again? Repeat number four. Application answers the question, what do I do now as we make personal application based on the interpretation? Number one is the three key areas of Bible study are observation, interpretation, and application. 
observation, observation, interpretation, and application. Okay, it, um, words that are repeated often in this passage of Scripture, there really wasn't one. Um, but Revelation, where is that? Revelation 20, is it 20 or 21 where he says a thousand years like seven times there? 20. 20? Yeah. Like if you look at Revelation chapter 20, um, verse 7, he says, When a thousand years were completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. Four corners of the earth. Let's see. Uh, okay, I started too far down. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so he says in verse 5. Yeah, verse, verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who is a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power to be raised with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed. And so that thousand years... It's talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth that he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on the earth and so he's making sure and making clear the point that it is a thousand years and so that's a that's a good example of the repeated repeated keywords but like I said keywords can be something can be different like in this passage, whenever we interpret it, next week we're going to look at key words. One of the key words is going to be power. Mm-hmm. But you'll receive power. And that, that word in the Greek is the word that we get dynamite from. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us power, you know, like, boom, we can do this or something. I mean, it's dynamite power that He gives <coughs> us. And so that's a key word, you know, that we understand that we have this power that that is within us in order to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. 